Coming up on episode three of a 15-minute guide to predictive analytics, we'll be speaking with two solution and technical architects on the best approaches to ensuring data quality fit for your business. You're going to want to stay with us, so don't press pause. Welcome, everyone, to a 15-minute guide to predictive analytics, your podcast dedicated to going beyond the hype of AI and digital transformation to explore the methods and tools that translate data into tangible solutions for the operational engineer. But before we get started, I want to mention this episode is brought to you by Aviva Performance Intelligence. Aviva and OSIsoft have come together to help companies from every industry engineer smarter, operate better, and elevate their business with a world-class suite of operational software. Discover what performance intelligence can offer you and visit www.aviva.com forward slash performance intelligence. That's aviva.com forward slash performance hyphen intelligence. All right, folks, for data quality, the scope of your analytics has to be understood in the context for how the data is used. When it comes to predictive maintenance, the analytical requirements must be framed around the right layered approaches, such as descriptive, diagnostic, predictive, and prescriptive. To explore this further, we have with us today solution architect Gopal Gopalkrishnan and technical advisor for OSIsoft, now part of Aviva, Kurt Hurtler. Both gentlemen have over 20 years of experience in software development and advanced analytics, and they're going to discuss the data engineering aspects in the analytics workflow and what you need to expect and prepare for in regards to operationalizing the data. Gopal, start us off. What are the different levels of analytics you need to understand in order to prepare for predictive strategies, machine learning, and other capabilities? If you want to look at it in a simple way, uh, we will talk about two kinds of analytics. You know, simple analytics, where most of it is done just using Pi tools and all the components you need are within the Pi system itself. And then advanced analytics, where we will bring in some third-party uh, capabilities, and this could include uh, machine learning or some heat and material balance uh, special equations you may need to solve some of the capabilities that you need. Now, the analytics portion we are going to talk about is in terms of some of the use cases that we have so that we can be very specific. So we're going to look at the data quality as the first item. and then we will drop into some of the use cases that we come across in maintenance. And then uh, lastly, we will look at you know, process-related use cases. Now, what I mean by operational analytics is how do we go from what the data scientist uh, puts out and bring it to real-time operations, you know, put it back into production uh, and bring the findings and the insights that you have uh, back into the plant floor. Now, before we even come to data quality, we need to make sure that the Pi system itself is working correctly and the different components and the different pieces within the Pi system, such as the data collection piece and the hardware that it is running on, and all those things are working to give you the data that you need to even get started. Now, once that is in place, we start to look at the data, and the simplest thing we can think of is just looking at an individual sensor. 
and the analytics that go with it are going to be fairly straightforward you know very simple analytics so trivially we can monitor things where the sensor is not reporting and it is flatlining or uh, there are io timeouts on the data that is coming because there is some issue with the system itself or with the network card any number of things that we can monitor and report and you can take corrective action now going up the layers from the individual sensor if you can think of an individual equipment now we are talking about tens of sensors there there are other first principle capabilities that we can use to get some insight into the data quality itself and for data quality beyond the simple uh, data quality we talked about we can bring some modeling capabilities into it including some machine learning as appropriate to get some insight into anomalies where the data is not self consistent so we usually have some anomaly detection algorithms running at this level for uh, getting a handle on the data quality so when you've got hundreds or thousands or many instances of calculations that need to be done to validate data quality what approach do you use to make that very repeatable and scalable to give you a brief answer uh, all the things that we are talking about here are using basic af capabilities so the calculations are you know templatized for you to be you know massively deployed this and we have several instances you know working now so that we know uh, af can be doing hundreds and thousands of these basic analytics to give you a sense into the data quality how do you view the layers so here the way we think about the layers and this is uh, typical when you when i'm talking to a reliability maintenance engineer he thinks about it in these layers you know in terms of preventive maintenance condition maintenance and predictive maintenance so we will kind of respond to this in how the capabilities with an asset you know map to these layers right now of course you have the reactive maintenance i mean that goes without saying it's a, like a brick fix strategy so almost no analytics there but when it comes to preventive you know if you are using currently calendar based maintenance there's an opportunity to uh, dig into more of a usage based maintenance and usage doesn't mean just run hours it could be any metric that is like counter based and the layered approach is the usage assessment so i talked about this counter i talked about this pulverizer example the motor starts and stops compressor starts and stops fan run hours you know all those are candidates for using the the first usage assessment and for the condition assessment we are talking about other metrics that you may want to calculate so these are efficiency calculations you have or rate of change calculations or you look at a heat exchanger and you are doing some fouling calculations or on a delta p the rate of change on the filter delta p right all those are metrics to trigger uh, additional things that you may want to do with it before breakdown and then in predictive we are using the same uh metrics as in the condition assessment but we are able to extrapolate those readings and the trends to predict you know that you are just 
you know, in about two weeks or in about a month, you're going to hit the critical limits that you have specified. And you can leverage those to get advance notice and start to take corrective actions without waiting for hitting the critical limits. And again, multiple capabilities within Pi itself, where we are uh, using uh, the piecewise linear and the curve-fed capabilities, the steam table capabilities, the table lookup capabilities, and extrapolating that to give you a time to alert or a time to failure uh, with a quantitative numbers to display in Pi or include in Pi notifications. And then uh, the last one is you know very advanced predictive capabilities where we bring in machine learning uh, items. And then the ultimate in uh, maintenance and reliability is really coming up with this asset health where you're taking a weighted sum of scores on many condition indicators uh, within an asset or within a process. And when it comes to condition assessments, we have seen tens of thousands of these analytics and calculations running in Pi. And this could even be hundreds of thousands of calculations continuously running in Pi, um, you know, every five minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour at whatever frequency you need. And then this a simple predictive where we extrapolate is on the order of thousands. And then the advanced machine learning, typically what we have seen is in the hundreds, uh, typically uh, these APR kind of examples are in the mar you know, on the order of tens or hundreds uh, models that you would, you would run. How is a failure prediction algorithm adequately trained since failure data is usually the smallest part of the data set? So there are two approaches. Uh, if the failure data is not available, then we just drop into unsupervised uh, machine learning. So we are just looking for anomalous behavior. Going back to shape metric comparisons to compare between the optimal shape to the currently running process variable shape. Can you elaborate on this? Uh, is the comparison usually done value by value, namely comparing future data to current data in real time or retrospectively? Now, the shape metric evaluation is also done. Uh, it is not done within Pi. Uh, it is also done as part of the scoring that, that we do for the machine learning models. A simple approach, if the curves will match up exactly, then I can do a straight Euclidean distance between the curves. But there are other algorithms also available for these shape metrics. There are multiple algorithms available, and some include uh, you know, what is typically known in the industry as uh, dynamic uh, time warping, where the shapes are similar, but they are kind of either stretched or compressed. Uh, so a lot of the logic is available. It is just a question of uh, just predicting and doing the comparison. How do you specify a tolerance between like, the required assets? We went back to the historical data to get that metric. Uh, if you recall, or if you can go back to that blog and kind of look through it a little bit, we already knew in practice, the runs that I had rejected or from operating data, I knew these were really bad shapes. And we used that as a metric to uh, tell me what are the shapes that I need to reject. 
So that is one approach. Uh, another approach is there are also other physics-based approaches that you can take. Uh, in the example where we were using uh, high-temperature steam to drive out the moisture, I was only interested in the amount of heat that is getting supplied to that molecular sieve silica gel bed. Uh, so I could just use you know, basic heat calculations to tell me, have I supplied enough heat, even though the shape may be slightly different. So that is another metric that you can use for uh, telling you, you know, what shapes are not coming up correctly, or you know, heating is too fast, or it is, even if it heated too fast, it is going to cool down too fast. Uh, all those things will be available. Are supervised and unsupervised machine learning techniques used inside the Pi system, or are they done externally? And if that's the case, what, what programs and packages are being used? They're both these uh, machine learning algorithms, the supervised and unsupervised, they are done outside Pi. And you can use any of the libraries and capabilities you are familiar with. Uh, it includes all the open source libraries in R or Python or MATLAB or uh, uh, on the Amazon SageMaker or Azure uh, ML Studio and ML Cloud or in Google. I mean, all those algorithms are you can apply. We supply the data for all that. So, so you know, now we're accumulating a large amount of data. Is the growing amount of data that's being used and the need to deal with like additional assets or sensors or pumps, it, when that becomes more important, does, does this mean that folks will need to expand their departments in order to continue this maintenance? Yeah, I would say in general, yes. Uh, you, you, you need to have now more eyes, at least for the initial modeling and development where you're trying to come up with new capabilities. But once that is there, uh, you can start to automate some of these process. And also, if the models are straightforward, then uh, you can deploy them back into Pi because then the business rules have been already learned. Right? So it really depends on where you are on the maturity curve. In plants I've been in, many individuals are concerned with implementing machine learning and predictive prescriptive programs, as some operators feel it threatens job security. What would you say to that audience? I would uh, include the operator right from the get-go. And we are not talking about completely automating and removing the human from the loop. And we present some of these things typically as operator advisories. And most of the uh, customers that we have worked with the operators, as soon as he becomes involved and we are going back to him for expertise, he is really excited to bring all those things into his own operations, and he will help you. Okay, folks, our 15 minutes is now up. Be sure to subscribe and join us for our next episode. And if you'd like to learn more, please be sure to check out our sponsored website, aviva.com forward slash performance intelligence. That is www.aviva.com forward slash performance hyphen intelligence. See you next time.